Welcome to Marketgy, the science of marketing strategy, a bi-weekly podcast where all the cool marketers discuss their favorite marketing strategies, study by study. On this show, we feature marketing risk takers who believe long-term wins for the customer equal long-term wins for the business too. How? Human-led marketing. The combination of where science, creativity, and strategy meet, or as we also like to call it, Marketgy. Let's break down the marketing trends, myths, and methodologies together. I'm your host, Leanne Dowweimer. Let's go. Good morning. This is Leanne with Marketgy, and I'm joined here by Lauren Alexander, head of marketing at Neurohacker. And she has so many exciting things to tell us. I really can't wait to dive into it. But first, Lauren, will you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on, by the way. You know, I've made my career in marketing. I started out in magazines and that was incredible. And then kind of moved into agency work. I've worked with very large brands and very small brands. And my current gig is at Neurohacker Collective, which is known for they're making their best in class supplements. They're best known for their brain supplement, Qualia Mind, which is a formula that helps with focus, memory, and drive. And and actually funny marketing story, you know, I have worked for so many different brands, but this brand in particular was one that I fell in love with the product before I was working at the company. I honestly wasn't a biohacker or neurohacker or any kind of real health nut previously. But as a marketer, and you can relate to this, we just we really are overworked. Like I don't, I, we just have this twenty four seven cycle. We're making so many decisions and really working our brain really hard. And when Neurohacker, you know, sent me a bottle of Qualia Mind and I tried it, I was floored how effective it was for me personally. How I was able to not crash in the afternoon from just emotional fatigue of making so many decisions. And it really led me to ask a lot of questions about the brain and about my brain in particular, what things I thought I understood, like as an adult, like you're like, oh, I'm this way, this is me defining characteristics that were kind of thrown out the door once I learned about like the tools that you can add to your toolkit. And so it was, you know, it was almost like a conviction where I was like, oh, I guess I have to work with these guys because I like really get the product. And so it's been a fun delight to oversee all the marketing. You know, we're a small company. So uh, head of marketing means working with product development, packaging, pay-per-click ads. We work with an agency, but I still run uh, about a third of our Facebook campaigns myself, writing the ads, pushing the ad, you know, managing bids, etc. Working directly with influencers. So, you know, I have a broad view of the entire, you know, experience of being head of marketing for a company. That's awesome. And and kind of it reminded me of something that we were talking about right before our press report is is I have this list of questions I ask people before they come on. And one of the questions that we were just talking about was how many cups of coffee you take a day or take drink. But I mean really caffeine is it's sort of that blurry line between beverage and supplement. But you know, most of the things that I see is that there's never enough market never enough marketers, right? We could always have more people in that department. And that, you know, we do push ourselves like between the creativity, the science, the decisions that we make. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Now, if we look at neuroscience as a marketing strategy, how can we kind of take that beyond surface level psychology 
and use it as a framework to change up our outward facing marketing. For sure. I think, you know, there's five things that you really have to know about the brain in order to really wrap your head (laughs) around all of this and use, use this as a weapon in your marketing arsenal instead of falling prey to some of the pitfalls. And one thing is that, you know, the brain and the body is constantly looking for ways to conserve energy and that the brain pound for pound uses more energy than any organ in the body. And so it's designed, you know, number three, it's designed to forget and it's designed to over index negative experiences. This is based on our survival instincts. And, you know, although we're not out, you know, in a field running from tigers or any other predators, still like we still have that wiring in our bodies. And so it's really important to acknowledge that. And then number five is that our brain is designed to over index emotional experiences. And so as a marketer, I mean, man, it's like this, we're constantly using so much energy to be creative, to make decisions. I mean, in a given day, you know, between different, you know, bid changes, creative optimization, contract negotiations, pricing, offers, all of that. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of decisions as well as information we're filtering through. And so your brain is looking for opportunities to take shortcuts, looking for opportunities to selectively focus on certain things and to ignore other things. And so as a superpower, you understanding like how the brain works can really set you up to where blind spots are likely occurring in your marketing initiatives. Yeah, definitely. And there's so many amazing touch points that we could, you know, spend forever talking about there. One of the reasons why I like marketing and how I personally interpret marketing kind of comes back to my my exercise physiology undergrad and understanding like on a cellular level things that are occurring within the body. And there's something I want to call out that should be a commonly known fact, but isn't, is that your brain takes, I want to say between 12, 10 to 12% of the blood flow in your body at any given point. And so understanding just how much people's need to, to like internally, physiologically, respond to their environment, respond to the ads that you give them, respond to the context of the ad you give them, or even like as a personal employee, like how that interacts, that's, that's pretty major. So when we're kind of looking at those five points that you brought up, you know, what, what is an obstacle that you think that most people don't realize that they're running into when it comes to something like this? Yeah. I mean, everything comes back to mental energy and there's, I mean, a a number of things I want to dive into such as heuristics and shortcuts that the brain is taking. But before I I go there, I want to talk just a second about mental energy in, in itself. And I love the analogy of thinking of mental energy as like a bank account and how much you wake up with in the morning, like, uh, has a lot to do with like your overall health, how much you slept, your emotional state, if you're fighting an illness of any kind, but let's say, you know, you wake up with a thousand dollars in your bank account, your mental energy bank account, and everything you do te- draws from the bank account, you know, from, you know, putting your shoes on to writing an email back 
to making a hard decision about an employee to, you know, deciding the data mine, everything draws from that bank account. Well, the thing that, you know, again, going back to survival, the thing that the body doesn't know is, is a thousand enough to make it through the day? Or is this a $20,000 day? Or, you know, or is it a 500? So from the moment you wake up, it's looking for ways to conserve energy. And I, you know, going back to the financial analogy of like how to balance your budget, you either spend less or make more like, and so the brain, what it's doing to spend less, it has, you know, three different things that it's doing. One is process and habits. Those are ways to spend less energy. And so, you know, things that you do without even thinking, like how many times have you gotten in a car and you start driving a certain direction and you're like not even aware of the process. And these are the habits and being aware of how the brain is looking for habits and trying to kind of go on autopilot to conserve mental energy. The second is shortcuts and heuristics, which, you know, these are everything from confirmation bias to anchoring. And these are uh, tools that can help you, but also can create massive blind spots and biases. The next way is the brain filters out unnecessary information. The reticular activating system in the brain, which is uh, located in the brain stem and thalamus, it literally uh, controls selective focus. It's the thing classically referred to as the red car syndrome, where you bought a red car, you never noticed red cars before, and then you bought a red car and all you see on the road is red cars. Well, nothing changed with the percentage of red cars, but your body now filters that information as something that's important to you. And so, uh, which is cool. There's ways to hack that, right? Like, uh, and some fun, fun things to do in terms of visualization to kind of augment that. But it is also something to be aware of, especially marketing when, you know, you can hear something about the next traffic stars, uh, you know, oh, TikTok is like the biggest thing. And all of a sudden you hear more, TikTok's the biggest thing. And then your mind starts like over-indexing every time it hears about TikTok. Well, we could debate later if that's yes or no, of it being, uh, you know, the next big thing, or if it already is the next big thing. But just to know that this cognitive process, there's actually a thing going on in the brain that's filtering for patterns and, and trying to not acknowledge a lot of information. It's designed to forget. And so we talked about ways it's conserving. Now there's ways to add more. Um, you know, one way to add more is uh, through nootropics or brain supplementation or caffeine. Uh, caffeine is one of the uh, greatest uh, tools. Uh, there is like a, a balance because too much caffeine can lead to, uh, you know, all kinds of problems. So there's a hormesis that needs to occur of the right amount of caffeine, especially if you combine caffeine with L-theanine. There's a number of studies that show that that really does boost mental energy. And then another way to kind of boost your bank account and mental energy is uh, through stimulating neuroplasticity. And this is a topic that um, I just find electrifying because in my lifetime, uh, there was a belief that uh, after adolescent, neuroplasticity uh, wasn't possible. And now, due to the research, we're finding that up until you know moments before on your deathbed, you can still be generating and stimulating neuroplasticity. And it's still, you know, uh, being studied, but there are, uh, you know, several things that you can do to stimulate uh, neuroplasticity. And the more things you stack into your life, the more kind of 
uh, you're going to um, increase your mental energy bank account. And one is uh, exercise. It's been shown that exercise can actually in- increase the volume of gray matter in the brain. There's uh, meditation that longtime meditators uh, are shown to uh, actually change the structure of the brain. Uh, diet, uh, it's somewhat controversial, but uh, of which diet is the right diet, but every... In- person in the brain space will agree that an anti-inflammatory diet, healthy fats, uh, a reduction or kind of ruthless elimination of seed oils are things that you can do to create a healthy brain. And then there's like fun stuff like brushing your teeth with the non-dominant hand, juggling, learning a language, learning a, a musical instrument, knitting, gardening are all things that you can incorporate to stimulate neuroplasticity. Right. And so I know what neuroplasticity means and you touched on the definition of it, but could you give us a formal definition of neuroplasticity? You know, it's really stimulating, you know, new neural connections in the brain. You know, another way to think about it is rewiring the brain. And there's a ton on it, but really I I think that as marketers in the same way that you have habits to instill for like healthy lifestyle that you should look for adding a habit to stimulate neuroplasticity in your kind of hobbies or your, your time. Definitely. And, and I would agree that that goes beyond marketers, but another clear example of neuroplasticity that I think really explains it for everyone to understand is that if you had a stroke and part of your brain cells were no longer given fuel and they, let's say that like those brain cells stopped working, they're just there. neuroplasticity would mean that your brain could find pathways around that those no longer working brain cells and figure out a way to still accomplish some of what those brain cells had been accomplishing. Now that's not, that's a very black and white example of it. It's not that simple. It's not that straightforward. There's for lack of a better pun, there's a lot of gray to it, but that's that's kind of a, a clear way to understand it where if you're coming from, you know, like a, a very heavy marketing, finance, business background, that's kind of the medical definition ex- explanation for it. Now, some of the things that you mentioned, I think are, you know, especially important to kind of hit on. And that includes confirmation bias. So a lot of us have our hands in data and we're looking at results or maybe we get a survey and we know what statistically significant might mean, but can you talk to us a little bit more about confirmation bias? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I like to kind of bucket a lot of these heuristics together. Again, like the definition of a heuristic is like a rule of thumb, a shortcut, a mental shortcut that the brain does. And, you know, confirmation bias is one that is very pervasive. And this is like noticing events that support prior beliefs, right? And kind of accepting that information to support the information. And it's definitely like a slippery slope and something that, I mean, gosh, I'm certainly guilty of. So, you know, and also testing. So you have this hypothesis and you're like, okay, women only work for this uh, demo or whatever. And you're like, this is my, and so you'll test your theory, but you will not test alternative theories because of the confirmation bias. And so, you know, there's a classic example of, you know, a husband and wife that are arguing and the, the wife is saying, you never put down the toilet seat. And the man saying he always puts down the toilet seat. 
and they're working on the same amount of data, right? There's a, there's no new information, but the the woman because she has a confirmation that he never puts the toilet seat down, she only notices when it isn't down. And the man because he has a confirmation bias of saying that I always put it down, he only notices when he does put it down, but he doesn't pay attention or notice, you know, the times that he forgets, right? And right she as well. And so how this applies to marketing, oh my goodness, it's, you know, so such a, an issue. And, you know, there's things that we can do. Like one of the heuristics that I, it's like my kryptonite and I know it is this escalation of commitment. So this is one where once you've committed to something, where it's signing a contract or saying publicly that you're going to do something, it, you know, it, it's, it's comes from that expression of throwing good money, you know, good money to bad and my reasons of kryptonite for me is my, I have this like, make it work. I can figure it out mentality. And so a lot of times, even though the data is all pointing that like, this is never going to work. And I know, I mean, I know I'm not alone here. Like, right. Or but, work out what cost too. Right? But, but there's, it's a painful experience because I really am in, involved in the commitment and and so there's things that you can do and things that I've done in order to, I know this bias exists and also the effort uh, heuristic. So this is like the more effort you put into something, the harder it is to be unbiased about it. And think about this as like consumers, you know, landing page of like their effort of clicking through and the more clicks that they do and the entering their email and then entering more information. Or if you've seen, you know, some of those VSLs are like an hour long, you're like, how does this even work? But it's because the effort heuristic is at play. The more effort that they put in, it's easy to ask for a little bit more effort. Oh, a little bit more effort. Or sunk this much effort. Well, think about setting up an ad campaign and you've done, you've created these audiences, you worked creating the sp- spokesperson, you have all this effort into it. It's really difficult to objectively look at the information. Uh, and the more effort you have put into it and the commitment as you've escalated the commitment. And the other side of that you know, is, so there, I'll get to some tips on how to like overcome the marketing bit of it, but then to be aware of that, you know, everybody's going through this. And so if to your consumers, escalation commitment heuristic, it can help with how you view placing upsells, how you execute a loyalty program, because they're already committed to your product. And this is a way to kind of further extend your campaign or your marketing objectives, knowing how these pieces interplay in the psychology. Yeah, absolutely. So many, so many things that triggers for me and I love it so much. One, it helps you say, so if we're talking about marketing strategies that we as individuals are putting out there, it allows us to take a a step and, and remember that sometimes you are Ursula, you are not the little mermaid and that you need to admit when you're wrong. Or, you know, put a stop to something, even though, you know, the sunk cost is a sunk cost. The other bit is that, you know, I I, want to hear more from you about where you're taking this and and not interrupt too much. But it's just, it's, it's so fascinating ways that we can apply things internally and externally to our customers. So, you know, we talked a little bit about like the, the heuristics and the neurological processes at play. Tell me more about kind of the next part of it that you were, you were alluding to. Yeah. So basically I, I condensed it to five tips, at least things that I'm in, I'm, 
I've ingested and I'm putting to work so that I can be more proactive uh, to my blind spots, knowing the cognitive processes that are at play, you know, so one is awareness and, you know, thinking about thinking, knowing about how the brain works. Metacognition is like the fancy word for thinking about thinking, which I absolutely adore. And, and so being aware of where your pitfalls are on, on that, like I'm super aware that once I commit, like I sign my name on something, it's like, I know that there is, and it's made me better at deciding on things I commit to, like knowing that that's a, a difficult thing for me to unwind has made me slower to commit to things, which probably in the end is, is great because they're, you know, marketer, we have too many things. And so less things is great. So awareness. And then uh, the second thing that's been really powerful is about uh, keeping track of my goals. So before I engage in something, I, you know, there, there's so many templates on how to do this, the smart goals or kiss, or there's a seal fit template from Mark divine. That's amazing for planning projects, but you know, in essence, like putting down, you know, what's a win? When am I going to cut? When am I, what is a failure before you start and, you know, defining the project in, in, in those black and white terms so that I can go and pull it up and be like, whoa, whoa, I've reached my, when I sat down before I even started this thing, I've already reached that failure point. I can't keep, I already made a commitment to myself that I would, I would pull out when I reach this point. And so it can be a dollar amount. It can be a timeline of, you know, X amount of sales in this period, you know, just having some kind of really clear cut and measurable moment of what defines a fail on a project or end win. Obviously we got to be right. both. It's like a double-edged escalation rule, right? So yes. And, and I think that that's so impactful because, you know, a lot of times as leaders, it's our job to define before we get into the project what the project is, what the roadmap is and, and where, where those cutoff points are. Like, like, how are we going to rationalize what's a sandbox and what is our, you know, our big, like audacious goal that we're going to do. And so, you know, there's, there's some things happening kind of underneath the covers when we are in intermingling things. So now you and I didn't talk about this before. And I'm definitely not trying to Barbara Walters you. So when I was learning about how apps were created, there's this discussion of habituation and, and how people are searching for dopamine responses. And so, you know, that, that kind of comes into play of, of how we are doing our metacognition of how do we give ourselves the, the correct dopamine responses. And it's a kind of, take it one step into practical advice from what you're saying is that, you know, I fool myself into doing things I don't want to do by giving myself a little bit of chocolate or some small treat to Pavlovian, but to like to, to give my myself that ex- extrinsic reward to accomplish them. But there's definitely some situations where, you know, it's not always ideal or there's, there's some limitations. Could you kind of go into more depth about that? Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, one of my big points about knowledge about the brain is that the brain over index emotional experience. And so, you know, you're super happy when you get your chocolate, right? And so me too, by the way, (laughs) and uh, one of my favorite things other than coffee, 
And so looking for ways to create emotion, positive emotion, and being aware of negative emotion. Now, it's easy as someone who's made their meal on Facebook to have a lot of negative emotion (laughs) when, you know, there's changes on the platform or with the constant, you know, the rug is being changed, pulled, ripped off the the floor uh, over there at Meta. And, you know, we have to persevere and come up with new strategies. But, you know, there's no negative emotion more powerful than getting your account banned. And the horror, fear, like it's a visceral thing. And being aware that like your brain is is controlling uh, the situation in a powerful way when you experience that level of negative emotion. And so one of the things staying objective, this is one of my other tips, is to like really ask yourself a question as regularly as you can when you're looking at data or making a decision. It's like, if I were not emotionally invested in this, what would I do? And for me, that really takes the wind out of it. It almost like puts me in a completely different state and allows me to kind of move through the process. Another one is to seek outside opinions. And so, you know, this is where having an analyst on your team is really great or having like an outside person, VA or someone that can like put together data for you, you know, using your COO or, or someone, someone who one isn't bonused on the results, someone who isn't working directly on the campaign, but that you can have as a sounding board for looking at that information. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and that's where, you know, while it's not always fun to play quote unquote devil's advocate, when you do it to yourself and you do you take a moment and you examine all the different frameworks or perspectives that the situation could be seen as, is it I I felt that myself where it makes me more it makes me less defensive. So if there's a conflict, whether it's a conflict like my you know, there's an error with Facebook or Meta and for some reason they I have to appeal a decision they made about my ads. Doesn't usually happen. Usually they're wrong, but it can it's a conflict that comes up and or in a personal conflict where, you know, you said something and someone took it a different way. When you have that ability to pause, take a deep breath and look at it from the different perspectives, you do interrupt the uh, responses going on in your brain by just simply breathing and counting to 10. Is it so disruptive? And, And when we look at pattern disrupting as marketers or as salespeople, like that's kind of your golden ticket to then being able to paint a different picture going forward. And, and I, I, I got goosebumps. I don't know why I like, I'm just so cheesy, but like, I love stuff like that because it just, it's so powerful and it can also turn into a situation where, you know, and this is why you can't be full of, and it's my podcast. So I'm going to say, well, you can't be full of shit because people will see through it, especially if you're using a pattern disrupt. They, it might take them a couple extra seconds, but they'll be like, come on, seriously, you just did that to me. So credibility above all, but there are a lot of powerful ways to use these ideas for good. And kind of in that sense, you know, if you're looking at the future of marketing and what, where it's at now, how do you think this plays into it? And, and where do you think things should go? Yeah. I mean, the future of marketing to me is so exciting. Like I am the creative, like I'm super creative and I have like a hundred ideas a day. That's like a defining characteristic of me. And so, you know, 
seeing the AI uh, and being able to dump a lot of my creative ideas and have executions of them, maybe not perfect, but like really fast executions of them. It's been just so exciting and incredibly gratifying to execute so quickly. However, I'm, I'm a little worried because of the, the ability, the volume that we're going to be able to execute. So we're already overworked. And so I'm, I'm worried. I'm already seeing this trend in some of my peers that like the marketing hustle has like taken a toll on health. And, and so I guess I'm a little wary. It's like, we're all going to have the ability to add like 200 employees to our marketing team, you know, thanks to automation and AI and things like that. But as a manager, like we're not given the resources to manage these extra employees, if you will, and these extra campaigns, et cetera. And so I guess I'm a little more firm at like, this is like the time that marketers really need to establish some healthy boundaries and habits and prioritize sleep, you know, nutrition, physical activity, like exposure to natural light, getting off screens for periods of the day. And it, because with the infinite and exponential curve that's coming, I think if we don't, if we don't take a stand for our health, like there's going, I just worry about this career profession in general, because I'm already seeing kind of the writing on the wall with my, my friends and colleagues. Yeah. And I think that we, we all kind of feel that like when I chose marketing, I chose it because I was really hoping for a work-life balance. You know, I had worked in jobs where I had to work nights and weekends and, you know, I had to be somewhere that was 45 minutes away by 6 a.m. And I had to be like on when I got there. I couldn't just be kind of sleepy, like, okay, I'll talk to you in 45. I had to be like present and energetic. And then I I would have that day go all the way through until eight or nine o'clock at night. And that's not healthy. So I was like, yeah, you know what? Marketing, hopefully I can work business hours. And what you're talking about too, the volume of things and being able to manage that and you know, it, it does require some, it, the words escaping me, of course, but it diligence almost, uh, because garbage in garbage out, if you aren't making sure that those million things aren't doing what they're supposed to do correctly, then they they waterfall through the processes and they give you bad data. They give you bad, you know, conclusions and, or, you know, like if there's just something as simple as an error in the code or your spreadsheet, that could be quite a lot of, of consequences, whether it's investments or it, and it's definitely turning more into that, especially with social media too, that 24 seven, you know, super vigilant, super hyper vigilant kind of situation. I think that's a pretty valid Valid fear, and, and especially in today's job market, where you know we've we've heard a lot about layoffs, and and I was thinking almost earlier about how layoffs are the red car right now, because they, they are. You know, if you look at a lot of these organizations, there is a lot of growth occurring, and there's there's layoffs happening, but there's they, they, it, it's more of a correction right now instead of a back channel fix, but. Coming back to what you said about, you know, we, we need to take care of ourselves, take care of our health, you know, as in, in your position right now, you're, you're kind of like this double-edged 
I had a spit time. I said that red car uh, thing, but you have a unique perspective of being informed about things that, that benefit our health and wellness. And I know you want to share a little bit about that part too. Yeah. I mean, so I, you know, I completely, my perspective on health really changed because of seeing how a supplement could affect my health like that. And it kind of shook a lot of my beliefs in that. And then in a way it was a gateway drug (laughs) into really becoming a biohacker. And I'm actually working on a book right now that's going to come out next year which is called the biohacking experiment. And it is about, you know, all of these things that I've experimented. Some of them, you know, are extreme, like neurofeedback, but a lot of the most potent ones are about sleep, exercise, diet, light. I don't think enough emphasis is on about getting natural sunlight every day, but how absolutely critical it is for emotional health, for biological health, for digestion, for sleep. In fact, one of the, you know, if you're having trouble sleeping, one of the the things you could do as an experiment is get 15 minutes of morning sunlight in the morning, and it will have a transformative effect on you being able to fall asleep at night. And these are, are things that are, you know, sifting through the mainstream, but, you know, it's slowly because the problem is, is that we're glued to our desks and our screens and our phones and that is disrupting a lot of these uh, things that we need to do, like healthy boundaries on sleep and healthy uh, relationships with outdoors and, and things like that. So I'm excited that there does seem to be an increase in interest in people wanting to kind of take back their health and not necessarily trust all the information from maybe one source, but kind of be their own, what we call N of one which is just their own experiment. You know, what works for you might not work as potently for me, but the commitment to continually valuing and optimizing your health being the goal. So warm space in my heart um, <laughs> because cause you, this has been something that I felt like my, my whole lifetime is that there's things that we can do that we can't promise outcomes, but we can promise a foundation that puts us at an advantage. You know, you can never guarantee that all of your work toward your health is going to prevent 100% something bad happening to you. But what you can do is you can set yourself up in the best situation possible to have all the advantages that might sway things in your favor. And that's something that, you know, I think we all need to take personal accountability on. But I also see people and have always seen people out there that want that, but don't know how to sift through the misinformation, the diet pills, the gimmicks, the, you know, the things that, that are kind of late night TV esque and, and it is hard. And, you know, I would not recommend that someone look for quick fixes in any way, shape or form, but look for things that they can sustain that are going to make them feel good and that they give you know, appropriate, optimistic cynicism too. And so, you know, I think that there's so much here to talk about. If someone wants to learn more about this or about you or your book, what are the best ways for them to get in contact with you? Yeah. So we, we put out a ton of information on our Instagram. So Neurohacker uh, on this Instagram would be a great place. Our website 
uh, neurohacker.com. I also made you know, a special offer for your listeners, uh, neurohacker.com slash marketg, where they can you know, take advantage of being part of your audience. So yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful for the chance to chat about all this stuff. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you. And, and I just want to clarify, because you know, after a couple of seconds after saying, there's a difference between late night TV diet pills and the types of supplements that Neurohacker offers. I'm just going to throw that out there. I want to be very clear on that, that there's a divide there. But you know, there's always that make sure it's right for your body. You know, talk to your doctor, all that kind of stuff. But I'm very excited about it because, you know, I've also personally seen that my life has improved by just adding certain proteins into my morning routine or, or doing certain things. So I really think that no matter what kind of neurological setup your body has and, and your physiology has, that you can benefit from giving it certain advantages and it'll make us better marketers yes. and better able to uh, interpret the information that we receive from data, from biases from surveys, from different interactions we have throughout the day. So thank you so much again, Lauren. I love conversations like this. This is why I do this. And then uh, anyone listening, if you could, as usual, I'm going to request that you please like, review, and subscribe. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you again. You've been listening to Markagy, the science of marketing strategy. If any of the strategies we talked about today inspired you to learn more, try them. Remember, the perfect strategy doesn't exist, only the one that gets done. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player to make sure that you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time.